This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Social-emotional learning is capturing the imagination of educators across the country. According to some, social-emotional learning, or SEL as they call it, is more important than learning how to read, write, and do arithmetic. If students don't know how to behave in a classroom, how to cooperate with one another, work hard at their studies, engage in civic discussions, then schools aren't teaching some of the most important skills needed for the common life that young people will live as adults. But critics of social-emotional learning, they're this, this SEL, uh, as it's, it's being called, uh, the critics say, well, this is just a cover-up for failure of teaching the basics, the three R's. In an essay just released by the American Enterprise Institute, Chester Finn, distinguished senior scholar at the Fordham Institute, and Frederick Hess of the American Enterprise Institute, have taken a thoughtful look at this debate. And I'm delighted today to have Chester Finn, or Checker as he is known to his friends, uh, with me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Checker, for joining me. It's a pleasure always, Paul. Thanks. Well, Checker, in your essay, you say that SEL advocates need to make it clear what social-emotional learning is and what it is not. So that's the question I'm going to give you. What is it and what is it not? Well, it's a little slippery and squishy because there's no widely accepted definition. There are interest groups that say they are advocates for social-emotional learning. There is a big Aspen Institute commission that reported um, in January about uh, the intertwining of social-emotional and academic learning, which incidentally is a good thing if they stay intertwined. Um, but SEL uh, can be corrupted into a kind of feel-goodism that says as long as the child is happy and um, uh, cheerful and uh, friendly, then that's fine. That's enough for the school to do. Properly defined, in my opinion, and Rick Hess's opinion, social-emotional learning includes many of the old-fashioned virtues that we associate with character and citizenship, and of course, it also includes feeling safe and secure and having those interpersonal qualities like uh, being decent to other kids and getting along with them and not uh, bullying them and not letting yourself be bullied by them. Um, and those are attributes that go into any healthy school and I, I would suggest always have done. Uh, what What's going on right now is that after three decades of almost a single-minded ed education reform focus on test scores, people are kind of now swinging back to what we used to just call the whole child and uh, um, thinking about the rest of the educational experience and what does it mean to be an educated adult. I'm all for the whole child being educated as a whole person. I'm just worried that we not slip into letting feel good substitute for those reading and math scores. It needs to complement them. It probably even facilitates them. Well, I remember when I was in third grade, I would get uh, on one side of the sheet by A's, B's, and C's in English and math and whatever, and on the other side, I had what was called deportment. Deportment, I and, remember, And too. I got a lot of not-such-good evaluations. I'll bet that's true. <laughs> so haven't they always been 
concerned about deportment as well as uh, academic accomplishment? Properly functioning teachers and schools and classrooms, of course, care about deportment. Lately, we're more apt to call it uh, um, safety or discipline or things like that. But yes, it means how you act as a person and how you act toward other people. It's always mattered in a good school and a good teacher. But if we focus instead almost exclusively on reading and math scores, then it's possible to neglect deportment. The SEL people want to bring it back. They want to bring back the whole child. I'm all for that, as I said, but I'm not for deportment taking the place of those A's and B's on the academic side of the report card. Well, so how about why do we have to call this something so complicated that I get it confused? I, I get it social, emotional, and socioeconomic <laughs> all, all mixed. Why can't you make it easier and just call it character education or something old-fashioned like that? If I were king, that's what we would do. And in the piece that Rick and I wrote, we said that character and citizenship and civic education are core elements, need to be core elements, of social-emotional learning. Why we needed a new term for it, I have no idea. Deportment wasn't a bad wasn't a bad term, unless people were going to confuse it with what we used to know as department stores. <laughs> well, so now they're talking about measuring this, and it's hard. Measuring this stuff is hard. Well, it, it, people have for a long time complained about measuring reading and math performance, but that's a, a world that we've had about a hundred years to develop tests and work out the psychometric you know the psychometricians really know how how to do this as well as it can be done and people still complain so if if it's so hard to measure academic skills what makes us think that we're going to be able to measure these skills well very good question because one of the risks is that we won't measure them and we'll simply go by whether the the teacher feels good about the classroom and whether the principal feels good about the school I uh, recently watched a high school principal get an award for being principal of the year from a bunch of other educators, um, and she admitted that her school wasn't very good academically, but it felt like a family. It, everyone was comfortable there. Everybody liked each other there. For this, she was taking credit as principal of the year after acknowledging that academics, well, they're not going so well at my school. Should this be the principal of the year, someone that settles for social-emotional learning? Well, you know, there is one measure out there that is being used, or at least it's being talked about being used, that is quite easily collected and readily available, and that's chronic absenteeism. If a kid's not coming to school, there's got to be something wrong. If it's a chronic condition, you should intervene. Isn't that a pretty good measure of what they're trying to get at with SEL? I think it's a pretty good, important measure of school quality and in a lot of states uh, ESSA accountability plans they are in fact using chronic absenteeism as a measure of school quality. I don't think it quite captures what the SEL crowd are thinking about however. A kid could be chronically absent from school for a variety of reasons including the fact that schoolwork is too hard or his mother is sick or uh, the bus doesn't come on time or there's all sorts of other things. Uh, there's reasons that relate to SEL, like I'm not coming to school because I'm bullied when I get there. That would be a good example of absenteeism as a metric for SEL. But I think that um, the SEL crowd and the people on this commission are more likely to recommend 
happiness surveys, call them school climate surveys, where teachers and kids and maybe parents fill out answers to 82 questions asking how they feel about their school. And that's a very slippery form of metrics. Um, it's very amenable to manipulation by people that want it to come out a certain way, and there's very little certainty yet that these kinds of uh, essentially opinion polls are valid measures of anything much. Well, we worry about cheating on our, you know, our, our state tests that are testing uh, reading and math. Uh, w wouldn't it be a lot easier for the teacher to just encourage the kids to say positive things? Absolutely. If I want my school to look good, encourage the kids and my peers, my fellow teachers, to only say good things. And if for some reason I'm an angry dissident teacher that wants the school to look bad, uh, even if it isn't, uh, encourage the kids to put in negative stuff. No, it's very easy to manipulate these. So what's your recommendation? How do you, Should we abandon metrics altogether in this SCL space? or No, I think we need to keep working at it. Um, the school climate surveys, which are popular in a number of states now, partly in connection with, um, with ESSA, are worth developing, seeing if they can be validated, seeing if there's a way to phrase them that makes them work better than other ways. I think we need to do the research, um, just as has been done over the centuries with testing, to see if there are reliable and valid ways of gauging the progress in social-emotional learning. I don't yet know what those are going to look like, but I think we should keep trying. Well, one of the things that people did with um, tests of cognitive skill was to look to see if they could predict outcomes downstream like graduating from college, earning wages, and so forth uh, when they were adults. Uh, that takes a long time to... And it's expensive, but it's worth doing. The longitudinal side of this would be very worth doing. If we had good ways of determining somebody as a citizen or as a productive adult or as a good neighbor uh, when they are done with school 10 years out, let's say, uh, that would be a very good I mean, again, you can't attribute it all to the school. There's a serious causation issue here. But uh, it would be a very good way to know whether that person acquired social-emotional learning somewhere along the way. Well, it would be a way of, of measuring whether or not the, the toolkit that's being used is a toolkit that's getting valid information about the state of the individual that they're testing. If you have the long-term information about the outcomes, I quite agree. But that takes a long time. A long time. The problem with long-term outcomes is it takes a long time to, to get, get there. there. Yeah. And they're expensive and complicated to gather. So... Do you have any short-term solutions? Well, uh, yeah. Rick and I are worried about this becoming a fad that goes too fast and allows too many people's sort of pet notions of student happiness or self-esteem or restorative justice or something else to kind of slip in and just follow some adult agenda that uh, isn't true to the integration of social-emotional learning with academic learning, which is, a, to its great credit, a premise of the Aspen Commission report, is that uh, kids don't do well at academic learning unless their social-emotional situation is reasonably okay. And I think that's probably true. Sadly, the reverse isn't true. You can have a lot of self-esteem and still not know how to multiply two-digit numbers. Uh, it doesn't work in the opposite direction. And so, uh, lest a lot of snake oil slip into the bottle under the heading of social-emotional learning, Rick and I are suggesting that there be almost a, almost a certification system for this, where a 
like a school gets um, you know certified if it's if it's green the building um, it should be there should be an organization that says this is a socially emotionally well-functioning school um, and uh, that may take a while to put into place we shouldn't just kind of rush into this and treat it as the next fat or it's going to endanger itself and it's going to go the way of the famous self-esteem movement in California in the 1980s where everything turned out to be fraudulent. The research on which it was based and the, uh, the feel-goodism that got it mocked by everybody even before the research was proven to be fraudulent. So you're saying maybe we should suspend action on this until we know what we're Not quite about. suspend. Not quite suspend. Just because good schools have always done this whole child thing. And a fu- well-functioning classroom is a safe classroom. You don't need a lot of discipline if kids are properly behaved in it. That, that goes without saying, I think. I'm not saying suspend. I'm saying let's um, work at making the snake oil vendors go away Let's have some standards and norms and definitions and ultimately metrics that we don't have today. Let's not make this the, the, you know, the next thing in education. And certainly let's not let it take the place of academic learning. So you're not willing to give up test scores and measurement no, of no, whether or not they're... Absolutely not. But test scores and all the other ways in which we measure academic learning. Um, of which, you know, the standardized test is one, but not the only one. And no, no, I'm not giving up on this. I am by no means substituting social-emotional learning for academic learning. I am saying they need to be each other's handmaiden, uh, but uh, that requires the people who are pushing for this thing to be attentive to the academic stuff that it's supposed to support and not just go off on... Uh, on self-esteem and feel-goodism at, at, at the cost of the academic uh, learning. Well, one of the things that about this movement that I'm wondering about is, is this another reform focused on elementary schools, maybe middle schools, but really isn't paying much attention to the high school? How much of the SEL movement is thinking about students who are 14, 15, 16, and 17? Has, is the literature looking at that segment of the school-age population? There's not a lot of literature yet. There's a good commission report, and there's some research underlying it. At the high school level, there is a role to be played here. The citizenship thing becomes serious. The civic learning becomes serious. Extracurricular activities, by the way, become a very important way to um, acquire social-emotional skills, not just sitting in the classroom, but from a club you belong to or a team that you're part of. Uh, might turn out to be more valuable in the long run, the uh, extracurricular opportunities, rather than what the uh, than what the French teacher is saying and doing in that 50-minute period. So I think that uh, this needs to be attended to from, from preschool right on up. Uh, certainly, it's not something to stop at the end of middle school. On the other hand, I don't think it's something to commence at the beginning of high school. No, I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that, you know, generally when people start thinking about this, they're thinking about toddlers and little kids, and they don't really think about the part of the educational system that I think is the one that's the most problematic, the high school. Well, it is the most problematic in in so many ways, Uh, and one of the ways it's problematic is misbehavior in high schools, out-of-control high schools, people that uh, do bad things to each other in high school, and... uh, 
we tend to think about that purely in terms of kind of external discipline and get a policeman and a metal detector and, and, and so forth. Another way to think about it, an additional way to think about it, is um, let's work on character and self-discipline and good citizenship and all those other things, uh, both within the curriculum and, and, as I said, outside and around the curriculum. I think that uh, the, it's, it, there's huge need for this at the high school level. Well, thank you, Checker. This has been an illuminating discussion of SEL, or social-emotional learning, as uh, the phrase goes. And I thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Always a pleasure. Look forward to coming back. Well, I'm sure that you'll be back more than once, and especially looking forward to the new study that's about to uh, come out of your headquarters. And so uh, we'll, yes, sir. we'll talk with you about that when the time comes. Terrific. I have been speaking with... Chester Finn, Distinguished Senior Scholar at the Fordham Institute. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern Time.